his best, his greatest, his most beautiful, his most valuable, his most expensive gift. He has given unto us that we may have life in Christ Jesus. And I'm so glad that he did not stay a baby in that manger. But I'm so glad that he grew in favor with God and that he was our sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Amen. What an awesome testimony this morning for baptism. To hear anyone acknowledge that they had been doing life their way. And God revealed to them that, no, it's not about your way, but it's about my way. And not only to admit that, but to do what was necessary, which was to turn from their way and turn to Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God for his family. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, the second chapter. And as you do, my prayer this morning is that God will give us new insights into a common text. Because for many of us, with the new year coming, we say, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. I'm going to get it this time. And we usually start in Genesis and we get a little bit through Exodus and then we hit Leviticus. So you may have covered this text quite often. I pray that God will give us new eyes to see the the grandeur. The beauty in this text this morning. How full of life, the lushness, the vigor. Genesis, the second chapter. I'll be reading verses 4 through 17. Stand with me if you would as we read the word of God. This inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word of God reads as such. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. 
It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And, and the gold of the land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This morning, we see from the text that God gives life. Let us pray. Holy Father, creator of all things, we humbly approach your throne this morning, O God. And we beg of you that you will have your way. We beg of you, O God, that your spirit will fall freshly upon us. We beg of you, O God, that we will not look unto ourselves for salvation, but we will look unto you. Though we beg that you will destroy strongholds, you will destroy issues and circumstances that is impeding the gospel from touching the hearts of those in desperate need. Oh, Father, as we look into the life that this text, the scripture has reported for us, I pray that we will see how much we need you. Lord, when we choose to do life in and of our own strength, we will die. Father, speak. Speak mightily. Transform this congregation. Mobilize our hearts. Mobilize our minds. That we will rescue those who are on the the pit, the brink of eternal separation from you. You will use a weak and broken and destitute people to proclaim the gospels of God. Lord, have your way. For your glory and name's sake, we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to this text this morning, I am grateful to Minister Allen for taking us out of Egypt last week. For that is exactly where our minds and our hearts need to be at this moment right now. We, we need to be in the mindset of an Israelite who has just come out of captivity. A people who has been oppressed for over 400 years. A people who, has, who have had a burden on their back. Consider for a moment God's servant Moses. And let us consider the context in which this this passage of scripture has been written as part of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible that Moses has wrote. And Moses is writing to this people who have been delivered from slavery, delivered from oppression, a people who has seen God Almighty do these wonderful, miraculous things. Yahweh, a people who have been promised a land yet have not arrived because they have not completely obeyed the voice of the Lord. Moses is writing to a stubborn and rebellious people who who frequently forgot just how good God was. 
He's, he's, writing, he's writing this text to help them get their mind right. He is writing so that, that when he dies and they are going over into the promised land, that they will not forget just who gives them life. He is writing so that they will remember who is the one that delivered you, who is the one that created all things, who is the one that is the source of all perfect things. That the generations would know through this nation that God gives life. And apart from him, there is no, there is no life apart from God. I, I, I love Genesis. I, I, I love Genesis because not only is it a historical record of what God has done. If you want to know where we came from, don't, don't look at, at your science book. If you want to know your purpose in life, don't, don't go to any other person. If you want to know why you are here, what God is doing, look into his scriptures because he says plainly. We're created for his glory. So not only is this book of Genesis a historical record of what God has done, but I love Genesis because of the message that that jumps out. God is speaking to us specifically here in Genesis. In chapter two, beginning in verse four, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to give a detailed account of the sixth day of creation. So chapter two is not just a, a, a new creation narrative. Chapter two in, in, in the Hebrew, they would give a panoramic view and often then zoom in. Genesis chapter one is like the panoramic view of what God is doing. Chapter two is a specific detailed view of what God is doing on the sixth day. Skeptics try to use that to disprove the Bible, but they are wrong. So on this sixth day, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is presenting God as both this this sovereign, transcendent creator who is yet personal and imminent. He's close to us. He's not just far off. And he begins the text in verse four. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. See, If you're familiar with Genesis, that would seem weird right there to talk about the generations. This this Hebrew uh, tall doth talking about the generations, the descendants, because you will look at it and say, how do the heavens and the earth have offspring? This this telling of the descendants would normally be a person just as the generations of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac. Esau and Jacob are reported in Genesis. This is an account of what is being communicated that God gives life. And here you have the universe. You know, the universe is bringing forth offspring by the first uncaused cause, God. And he moves into five and six And he does so giving us the context for what we are about to read. And and actually, this text is is talking about a condition, a position that's actually prior to the fall, because in five and six, it says when no bush 
of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Now, at face value, it doesn't appear that much is being reported here, but uh, pastor and theologian uh, John MacArthur, who, who does such a very good job as giving background to the scriptures, he argues a point here. And his point is that uh, what is taking place is uh, in five and six is letting you know that the man is being created and this, this is taking place before the fall. How does he get there? He argues that in the Hebrew, this bush of the field will be considered the thorns and thistles. And the small plant is more like the food that humans would plant, like wheat and barley that, that we would get. And he makes that case because he says, for the Lord God had not caused rain to fall upon the earth. And, I, and as he digs into that, the argument is rain did not actually come until the flood, but Rain came as a judgment upon man because prior to rain coming, the, the earth was self-sustaining and self-sufficient. It did not need man to plant seed and to, and to work it and to till it in order for its, its livelihood to come forth from the ground in verse six and a mist was going up. This, this is a spring, a, a, a life giving river of water was flowing forth from the earth, watering everything here. You have the, the, the perfect water cycle. You, this, this water cycle was not dependent upon Water evaporating, clouds moving, and rain coming because then you had rain sometimes. You would have rain on one day and not rain on the other day. But what he's communicating in this text is that prior to man's fall, the earth was continually replenishing itself. The ground and, 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 and the plants was never wanted for water. I have a plant at home that I call myself keeping. I'm doing a better job. But one time we were headed home and got the water. So we went to Michigan and I came back. By the time I got back, the plant was just leaned over. I'm like, oh, I said, oh honey, my plant dead. And she said, just give, it, just give it some water. Poured a bunch of water on it. In a few days, it began to stand back up. See, sometimes when it don't rain, uh, your, your grass turns brown. Sometimes when, 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 it doesn't, when the rain doesn't come, things begin to yearn and want for rain. But prior to man's fallen condition, he's saying things were so perfect, the plants didn't want for nothing. The plants were continually being fed by this stream of water. And you did not need man to till the ground. So he's saying before, before this situation we're in, Israel, before our, our new norm, God was doing something. 
So before the world, as Israelites, Noah came into being, God had something perfect. And in verse 7, he, he digs in and says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God creates man. God makes man from the material that he has already placed upon the earth. Like a potter picks up the clay and begins to shape, to fashion, and to form a beautiful masterpiece, God takes the dust and begins to form and and craft man, and he sets him there and looks at his beautiful creation. But however, as the dust he is made from is inanimate, man is at this moment inanimate, and then God makes that which is not into something that is by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. (sighs) Immediately. Life in man, out of nothing, something. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Not only is he creating man, God is bringing forth a beautiful, lush garden which will be the special home for man. Not, 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 not just any house. Not just anything I'm building. I'm, I'm, I'm building you something that is beautiful, something that is special, and as a matter of fact, it's right next to where I live. Because Eden is God's cosmic temple. And what God was doing on earth is creating an earthly temple. See, the tabernacle... And the temple was was to reflect what God was doing in creation. He was going to dwell in the Holy of Holies, which is Eden, and be with man. So he plants a garden right next to his house. For us to dwell in, for us to be a part of. I mean, this this text is amazing. I mean, it's like like a baby. One moment, that baby is not there. Then the baby's there. Not and there. It's nothing and then something. Who has the power to take nothing and make something? Ex nihilo, out of nothing, God made the heavens and the earth. Any other creation account that man can give always begins with something. But God says, I'm so sweet, I'm beyond you. I don't need material to build what I'm doing. I will make the material itself to build what I'm doing. God gives life. Apart from God, nothing. Apart from God, apart from his direct, intentional intervention, 
no life would come. Moses is saying, Israelites, hear me today. Before you go into the land flowing with milk and honey, before you settle down in a land which you have not labored and in cities that you have not built, before you eat fruit of the vineyards and and olive orchards that you did not plant, know that you had nothing to do with this life. Give glory to Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, this personal God who is the creator of all things. God is the source of all life. Not only is God the source of all life, mankind is utterly, completely, and entirely dependent upon him alone for the sustainment of this life. Verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What? An amazing garden this is. This is not your uh, llama bean garden that you don't plant it out back. You got sticks holding up everything. It's leading to your tomatoes are almost on the ground. This is everything you know of a garden you have to throw away when you start thinking about God. To even begin considering what this garden looked like, you will have The only thing I can even think of is in California, those big redwood trees. Those trees are so massive and so tall that you, they they have trees that they have actually cut holes in that you can drive your cars through. And these trees are just standing. They're not going to tip over. The wind is not going to knock them down. These things are huge, strong. This is the greatest garden to ever be planted because it's God's garden. But not only are these trees aesthetically pleasing, but they also bear fruit that was good for food. Could you imagine how good the food is in in, in the garden? Could you imagine how good that fruit was? On, a, on, a, on our mission trip to Puerto Rico, I was exposed to some things I had never seen before. And I mean, I mean, can I get a witness? The, the fruit that they had there was unbelievable. I, no, this is not your local grocery store fruit. I mean, this is stuff I've never, I've never seen before. I was like, what is that? Yeah, well, it's fruit and you eat it. Okay. And it, just the taste as it ran over my palate. I had never tasted anything like this. Could you imagine the fruit of the garden? Good for food to sustain you. There, there, there was no chicken dinners, no, no pork chops, no, no, no cat. There, there was no meat in the garden. There was no need for meat. Well, one reason there was no meat, because in order to have meat, guess what? Something has to die. There was no carnivores in the garden. Everything was sustained by the lush trees in the garden. By this fruit that came up. Not only is God creating life, he is, he is here 
sustain, I will sustain you. I didn't just make you, but I will keep you. Then God brings forth two trees that were distinctly different than all others. He brings forth this tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we, we don't have time to actually just, just really dig into this, but uh, there, there are a few points that I would like to mention. This, this tree of life is, it was a supernatural tree that, that bore fruit which would uh, provide life-sustaining and rejuvenating powers. Had man not sinned, they would, li- they would have lived forever in perfect union and fellowship with God by returning day after day to this tree that would provide and sustain their life, representing that unbroken fellowship with God, this union. In the Old Testament, whenever this tree of life is mentioned, it's always mentioned in the context of like completeness. Something that is full, there, there's, no, there's nothing lacking or need. And in, in the New Testament, I'll read it. In the New Testament, it is spoken of in Revelation, the 22nd chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. An awesome life-giving tree. But unlike this tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did not provide life. Though its fruit was good for food, though it was not a poisonous tree, it would bring the consequences of death to man. This, this tree was different, not supernatural in nature, but had supernatural implications. But we'll actually get into that just a little later. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it was divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it the whole, in it the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Bdelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Out of this cosmic temple flows a great life-giving flow of water. So monumental is its flow that as it flows through Eden, it breaks off into four separate life-giving rivers that are still able to sustain the land. How massive. How massive the flow. How massive, how strong is this flow of life-giving water to the land? How, how great is this land? This land is sustained by these mighty rivers, not streams. Not tributaries, life 
life-giving rivers of water. I like what God reveals to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, God is revealing to him the temple, this supernatural temple. And beginning in verse 1, he says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, from the holy of holies. This life-giving water is flowing. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Oh, yeah, the temple was facing the east. See, that, see that's the interest that God comes through. Nobody else. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, about 18 inches, 45 centimeters. And then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. And he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to the Erebath and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be a very many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. This garden is given life by this river that comes from the holies of holies. God gives life. This is paradise. Perfect fellowship between God, man, and the land. Israelites, not from the work of our hands, but from the hands of God himself are we sustained. Be reminded to partake of that which leads to life, obedience, faith, and trust in God. Know that it is God who will sustain us. It is God who will keep us. It is God who will give us purpose. From his throne flows a river that brings life wherever it reaches. Man is dependent upon God. God is the source of all life and man is dependent upon God. Yet, will man continually trust in God? Or will he trust in another? Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day. 
that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God takes man that he created and places him in the garden that he has created and puts him to work in the garden that more life may be brought forth for him. From him and through him and to him are all things. See, but here, this, this working and keeping, this is a different working and keeping than that which is in verse 5. It's actually a different word. The working and keeping here means that man would serve the garden and protect it. Serving creation in a manner God saw fit. See, this working and keeping is language is used elsewhere in, in, the, in the Pentateuch of what the priests did in the tabernacle as they worked it and kept it. God's priest, Adam, keeping and working his temple. Though I'm not sure exactly what man was doing or whom he was protecting the garden from, his, his physical labor was a good thing and not a consequence of the fall. So before we say, well, you know, I ain't supposed to be working anyway. No, I had it not been for Adam and Eve, I wouldn't need a job. <laughs> this is pre-fall. And what is God doing? He, he's saying to man, I, I didn't just create you so you could just sit idly by and, and look at me. I created you and I gave you purpose. I got a job for you to do. I got a job that that you're going to complete on my behalf. It is here that we see the first command from God to man. This command establishing God's uh, authority over all of creation and also a test to reveal man's trust and faith in God. All this is yours, Adam. Have anything and everything you want. I have placed my creation under your dominion. You are to rule as my vice regent, my representative. Everything is yours. However, there's one rule. Don't eat from that tree. What is it about this tree? This, this, this second tree, it, it does not bring forth life, but... Primarily, the, 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 this tree is there first as a symbol of God's authority over man. See, we think, well, 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 God, if you just didn't put that tree there, but he needed to put the tree there. He needed to remind his creation that I'm in charge still. Uh, yes, I've, I've delegated a lot to your stewardship, but don't forget who's in charge here. You, you, you got to remember, though I've given you all of this, the plenty of the land, you have no want, you have no need, but yet I'm still in charge. And as they would go back to the tree of life, they would come, they would encounter the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that moment, they would need to make a choice. Would I return to God or would I return to my own way? Would I go my own way? A constant reminder of their willing submission to God's rule. Secondly, that is it, a test of man. This is a test. 
Will man choose God? See, it's easy to say, well, God, I I wish you hadn't made the tree because they wouldn't have messed up. But no. How can you know you have genuine faith and genuine trust if it's never tested? The Israelites were claiming to be the, the, the children of God. But whenever they were tested, they would grumble at God. Was their faith genuine? No. Whenever your faith is tested and you find yourself constantly falling, is your trust in God real? When eating from man who had no prior conception of evil, until now, all man knows is good. Everything is good. By him partaking of the tree, he would experientially know what evil is. Why? Because evil is disobedience to God. We think evil is just some metaphysical thing floating out there that takes hold of a person and makes them do bad things. No, evil, as, as the Bible states it, is disobedience to God. So we'll, let's, 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 let's stop trying to clean this up. Let's stop saying, well, you know, I I got issues and, uh, you know, I got problems. No, I'm evil and I'm sinful. Because I'm disobedient to God. Man consuming this fruit is in direct disobedience to the command of God who is pronouncing. I, I, I can get wisdom on my own strength. That's what man is saying by doing this. See, what, what's forbidden to man is, is the power to decide for himself what is in his best interest or not. That's interesting. That's the actual sin. Our sin is when we decide what's in my best interest myself without consulting God. That's the sin because I then therefore become God of my own life because I am giving myself my own moral guidance and wisdom apart from God. This is not a decision God has delegated to man. Nothing good comes from man taking his life into his own hands. Nothing good comes from us making our, our own decisions apart from God. Judges. I, I, I love the last verse of Judges. Judges 21, 25. If you know anything about the book of Judges, do not get your ecclesiology, do not get your, your theology from the book of Judges. The book of Judges is set there to show you how messed up man is when he starts to do things his own way. That's what it's for. And the last verse, Judges 21, 25, says... In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Proverbs, the 14th chapter, verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 
Israelites, do not be drawn away from living life God's way. For when you choose to do things your own way, you will die. No life can be found apart from God. And when, whenever you look to yourself for guidance, you will bring death upon yourself and, and your situation. We're not to look into ourselves to decide our own best interests. Life and death rest upon trust and dependence of God. As this Genesis account continues on in the third chapter, we, we will see that Adam and Eve eventually do decide to go outside God for wisdom. There's a lack of trust there. Desiring to be God, they take it upon themselves to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thus, disobeying God, and as a result, sin enters the world. And everyone born thereafter is born in sin with the innate desire desire to do life their own way. See, prior to the fall, there was, a, there was a vibrant life between God and man. There was a, a, a beautiful relationship between man and the environment and between man and his wife. These familiar relationships. Everything was good. After sin, God and man broken. God, man and God, man in the land broken. Man and his wife, broken. Death has resulted in broken relationships. In spite of Moses' warning, Israel would eventually fall. They failed because of their sinful desire to live apart from God. This, this same story is repeated over and over in the scriptures. Man deciding to do things his way, resulting in death. But do we really need to look that far to see this? In our day, man has lifted himself up as the pinnacle of the world, worshiping the creation instead of the creator, worshiping man instead of worshiping God. You know, from from childhood, we are taught you can be whatever you want to be. Instead of seeking what God wants us to be. We choose everything based upon what we want leading to death. We choose the schools we go to based upon what we want. We choose the jobs, the careers we go into because of what we want. Well, I guess I have to be, uh, I want to be rich. So I guess I'm going to have to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or a movie star. And then you pursue that path. Why? Because you are thinking about your own interests. And not what God wants you to do. We build relationships based upon what we want. Mm, she look good. He look good. They ain't with nobody. Or we can get together. Well, when they married, well, so what? They still look good. We can get together. Based upon what we want. Leading to what? Death. We choose our churches based upon what we want. Based upon whose name is outside of, who's affiliated, or, or what can they do for me? Instead of what can I be doing for God? Leading to death. 
murderous choices leading to, can you see the chaos? Can we, can we be transparent for a moment? Can, can we be transparent? Can we say that the chaos and the brokenness in our lives? Can we see the chaos, the madness that is taking place in our families? Can we see how ridiculous it is in our communities? Because we have chosen to do things our way instead of God's way. And he tells us in this second chapter that if you want life, I'm the one who gives it, so you must do things my way. We are not God. We don't know what's best. I really don't know what's best for my children. But I know somebody who knows what's best for my children. And through him, I raised my children. Not because grandma used to say, not because mama and daddy used to say, but because the word of God has said, so I want to pour life into my children through the word of God. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. I wish I could say that it gets better for man. I wish I could encourage you to just try harder and it'll work out. I I, I can't. We can't just try harder to make things better. We, We can't just try to be nicer and wait for things to work themselves out. I've tried it. You've tried it. Things are still broken. Once we have partaken of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's, there's no way for us to get back to God because we're dead. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin is death. Because I am a sinner, I am dead. So even if I wanted to get back to paradise, I couldn't. And because... We are separated from God. We are headed for eternal separation in hell from God. No matter how hard you try, you can't make a dead man live. No matter how much CPR, how many shocks you give them, when they're dead, they're dead. We're dead. You're dead. Man is dead. What are we to do? This is bad news. This is horrible news. This once perfect, beautiful garden that everything was great and so much life was bearing forth. Now man has created this awful separation because of our rebellion against a holy and righteous God. And we want to do things ourselves. What are we to do? say we keep on reading and see how the gospel gives us hope. Genesis 3, 22 through 24. It says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were cast out the garden because of their sin. We think that's a bad thing. But this act of God is actually the best thing that could have ever happened to us, to them and for us. This is God extending before them a mercy that has never been seen before. Withholding from them a just penalty of death, of immediate death, he withholds that from them. By by casting them out of the garden, God actually saves their lives. Had they partaken of the tree of life in that sinful condition, they would have been spending an eternity in sin and separated from God. In spite of being cast out, in spite of the present condition, because the the present condition looked bad. (laughs) They could now look to that future hope promised in Genesis 3.15. Because 3.15 tells us that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, in 3.15, the seed of the woman would come forth and crush the head of Satan. See, the, the, the seed would bring restoration to the earth and everything in it. See, hey, Israelites, I, 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 I know that you're going over into the land. And I know I've I've told you to trust God when you get there. But I already know you won't. You won't. You're a stiff-necked people. You won't. And and in your rebellion to God, you're going to find yourself in some pretty hard places. You're going to find yourself alienated in a foreign land. You're going to find yourself cut off. Have you ever felt cut off sometimes? No, No matter where you find yourself, if you return to the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, you, he will restore you. Because the seed of the woman is coming to make things right, Moses and the Israelites look forward to the coming of this seed. We stand on the other side of the cross looking back at what this seed of the woman has done. This seed came forth, born of a virgin, and increased in wisdom and in stature and and in favor with God. This this seed came to bring life, and that more abundantly. This this seed came to set the captives free. This this seed's food was to do the will of him who sent him. This, This seed perfectly submitted to God the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This seed's entire ministry was marked by total dependence upon God, tempted yet without sin. And it pleased the Father to crush this seed for our iniquities, to pour upon him the wrath that we rightly deserved. Ha, ha, and an amazing thing happened. To this seed. See, they placed this seed in a, in a dark and dingy tomb, a dusty tomb. And, and, and Satan thought he had him. He will, he will, he will bruise his heel. Satan thought he had one. But actually, this, this actually uh, became the, the perfect conditions for the seed to grow. 
See, and, and the seed is deposited in the earth. And how many of you know that before a seed can grow, that it must die first? And, and three days later, this seed comes forth bearing the fruit of our salvation. This seed is Jesus. Jesus is our hope and salvation. This is the gospel. We do not live for ourselves. We don't look to ourselves for life. We look to Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. All around us, death is taking place. Our sons and and daughters and our husbands and our wives, our our communities are, are spiritually dead. Only Jesus, the living water, can bring them back to life again. When we wave our white flag and in surrender and just give up trying harder, we shall receive life once again. Revelation, the 22nd chapter, verse 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Sinful man was banned from the tree of life. But by the washing of the blood of Jesus, we will once again have access to this tree of life. Be reconciled to God today. What's this all about? God gives life. In him is life. He sustains life. This text is talking about the glory of the life that he gives, this perfect life. But then we also see that man brings death. When we rebel against God and choose to do life our way, we die. But then we see lastly that Jesus saves dead men. This is what the entire Bible is about. God sending his son to save those who Repent and trust in him for salvation. Who turn from their wickedness. Who turn from their sin. Who turn from doing things their way. And turn to Christ. Ravi Zacharias says it the best. Jesus did not come to make bad man good. He came to make dead men live. We are dead. So it's fitting that since we open up with the words of Moses, that we close with the words of Moses. And in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, beginning with verse 15, he writes to the Israelites, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments, and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the river to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life 
and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. I set before you today life and death. Surrender to God and live. Yield to yourself and perish. Salvation is not trying harder. Salvation is found in Jesus. Turn from yourself and death and turn to Christ and life today. What do you need to do today? You need to repent. God, I have been living this life my way, by my rules, on my terms, seeking my desires. And Lord, I am forever sorry that I've done that. And Lord, today I am turning to Christ that I may live for you and do your will and obey your commandments. And in that, I will have life and life more abundantly. Choose life today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Lord, apart from your word, we are incomplete, but in Christ Jesus, we are made complete. We thank you for the cross. God, you giving your son to be the sinless sacrifice for our sin. And for those who trust you, who quit trying hard and surrender to you, you will cause us to live. Father, right now, I pray that you will breathe into someone's nostrils right now, that they will live, that your spirit will regenerate their hearts. Lord, break the hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh that we may serve you and sit up under your rule and authority in this place today. For your glory and namesake, I pray. Amen.